turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Jesus Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. You can open your Bible now to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read to us from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And let's remember as we hear this that this is God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience with, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So as we start the book of Colossians, it's important to recognize this is a specific kind of writing. It's a specific type of literature. This is what's known as an epistle. That means it's a letter. You can tell at the very beginning, since Paul introduces himself in it, and he says to whom he is writing to the Colossian church, this is a different sort of literature than we've been working in for a while as a congregation. We just spent the summer in poetry, and before that, we spent a long period of time, almost a full year, in narrative. 
in a story about the Lord Jesus. Epistle is very different. It's very different. In New Testament letters, we have times, uh, at times, very personal letters written to specific churches for specific reasons. In this book, this is a church uh, called the Colossian Church. It was a church in Colossae. It was planted by someone other than Paul. And so it's likely that he had never met most of the members of the church. He knew them only by reputation because he had heard about them through their church planter and through one of their members, a member named Philemon. And in the epistles, oftentimes there's one main argument that the letter writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate, and that is the case in this letter. What Paul is trying to communicate is that Jesus is greater than anyone and everything else, and so we should focus on him. It was a message that the Colossian church really needed to hear. They were a people that lived in a part of the world that was in decline. For a while, Colossae had been a large city, larger than most of the surrounding cities that were around it. But by the time that this church had been planted there, it had moved to a small town. People had been moving away. There wasn't the same industry or life there any longer in a sort of civil or civic sense. And it was a place where a few years after the writing of this would be completely destroyed by an earthquake. It was a place struggling with false teaching, specifically the teaching of what's called Gnosticism. It was an early version of that, which said that there was this secret knowledge that believers should uh, attain through secret sources. It was a teaching that said that matter, that things that were created were bad, but the spiritual or the emotional or that which was in your mind, that's what was important. That's what would be privileged. And so, knowing all these things, it's a perfect letter for us. We're living in a state, the state of Illinois, which is in decline. You know that. Uh, You know that living here. Uh, According to Pew Research, over the course of 10 years, from 2010 to 2020, there were only three states in the United States that lost population. Uh, Mississippi, West Virginia, and Illinois. And Illinois' population decline only continues as people move for greener pastures uh, in states surrounding our particular state. We're living in an American church that's in decline. There's been story after story about declines in church membership that have characterized the American church, which has declined substantially between 1999 and 2019, and that decline has only become more rapid since moving through covid We're living in a world that says what you think or what you feel is what you really are, and that the physical realities that constitute you have little bearing on what it means to be you. And so we're in a context that is strikingly similar to the context where the Colossian church was. And so this letter is direct and important for us to hear and heed. We need in our context, to be reminded of the fact that Jesus is the name above all names. That our hope doesn't come from demographics or democracy, from population or politicians. Our hope comes from the Lord Jesus alone. What we need to learn this morning is the message of these first 14 verses. That the fruitful word of God that that builds churches and changes the world should change your life. 
I like that. So let me say that again. The fruitful word of God that builds the church and changes the world should change your life. There are two parts of the text that we're considering. At the very beginning, we are, uh, we're told about what's happening in the church and in the world. And in the second part, we see that Paul is praying and I'm praying, so we should pray that what's happening in Christ's church, the world should happen in your life. Today's message in our Jesus Above Everything series will continue in just a moment. We wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to past messages of this radio program. This radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you. To support this ministry, you can give a gift of any amount when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com and click on the Give a Gift button. We appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now, we continue with today's message from Pastor Derek on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. So let's take a look at those two parts of the text that's in front of us this morning. What's happening in Christ's church and world. Paul begins by speaking grace and peace to this church in Colossae. He begins the same way that we begin our services. The reason that we begin our services with a minister saying grace and peace to you from God is because that's the way that the New Testament letter writers began their letters to the churches. We're continuing that way of operating. We're saying grace peace to you. This was good enough for the apostles to begin their letters. And so it's good enough for us to begin our services that way, knowing that God speaks to us a word of grace and truth. Now, right away at the very beginning, there's already an indication of how God's word changes things. Because what the apostle Paul has done here is he's changed the typical greeting that would go in letters that would be written at this time. So usually letters would start with a Greek word, charin, which just means greetings. Paul decided he would slightly change that, and instead of charin, he would say charis, which is Greek for grace. And so it's this little play on words at the very beginning, which is already changing the way that Christians would receive letters at this particular time, indicating the way that God's word changes things at the very beginning, grace. And then he used uh, the Hebrew word, grace, and then shalom, peace. The congregation At the very beginning, it's hearing a word from God of grace and peace. And then Paul offers some gratitude for this congregation. He says that he thanks God for this congregation each time he prays for them. And what does he thank God for? Does he thank God for how much they've helped him? How much they've benefited him? How much they mean to him? Any of those would be fine and good things to pray for, but as Paul begins under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what he thanks God for the Colossian church is he thanks God for their virtue. He thanks God that they are a virtuous people. The congregation is characterized by the great virtues of those that follow Jesus, the virtues of faith, hope, And love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, these are the three things that remain. And verses 4 and 5 tell us that that's what's distinctive about the Colossian church. Faith, hope, and love. See if you can hear those virtues repeated in these two verses as I reread verses 4 and 5. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, right away at the very beginning, faith, hope, 
and love. That's what's distinctive about this congregation. Faith, hope, and love. And 1 Corinthians 13 also tells us that these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that seems to be distinctive about this Colossian church. This was a loving church. They loved the saints. Paul usually begins his letters by giving thanks for a specific aspect of what's happening within a specific congregation. That's true in almost every letter that he writes, except when he writes to the Galatian church because he's very angry at them. He skips the Thanksgiving and just gets into how upset he is about what's happening there. But in every other instance, he gives thanks for something specific. Let me give to you some of these beginnings. When he talks to, talks to the Romans, he gives thanks for their faith. When he talks to the Thessalonians, he gives thanks for their work. When he gives thanks for the Corinthians, he gives thanks for their trust. Only in one other place is there a greeting that specifically focuses on love, and it's when he writes to Philemon, a member of the church in Colossae. This was a virtuous, loving church characterized by faith, hope, and love. It means that the person who had planted this church had attained the goal that all church planters have for churches. This church wasn't planted by Paul. It was planted by someone else. But Paul lists the goal of a church planter in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. He says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul's writing to Timothy this man that he's discipling, he says, all right, these should be your goals for the church that you're serving. Love, faith, virtue. Love, faith, virtue. This is the goal. And as you think about our congregation, our congregation that now exists in two locations, as you think about our congregation on the day that our educational ministries begin, as the ministry season starts sort of at full force, Our hope should be the same. Lord, may Orland Church and Plainfield be characterized by virtue, by faith, by love. And you might wonder, well, how does that happen? How does a church get to be characterized by faith and hope and love, by faith and by virtue? How does a a church get to be known as a church that is loving? Well, let's take a look at the end of verse 5, because we're told at the end of verse 5, Verse 5 says this, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Here's how this comes to any congregation. It's by hearing the word of truth, the gospel. The word of truth, the gospel, came to this body, this group of people in Colossae, and they heard it, and it transformed their life. It brought them from death to life. It took them from darkness to light. This simple message that Christ Jesus died, that he rose, that he ascended, that he will return, and that by this finished work of Jesus, God saves. He saves sinners. This is what created a church in this town. This is what made a body of people become a church. And verse 6 says, not only did it create a church in Colossae, but it's also bearing fruit in the whole world. This word of truth, this gospel, not only has created this one specific group of people, it's bearing fruit across the whole world. Paul recognizes the potency of the word of God and that everywhere it goes, it creates faith 
and hope and love. It makes Christians of those who at one time had been enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, specifically in verse 6, some of the commentators that write about the book of Colossians say that Paul here has started exaggerating. He said, think about the way that the church was at the time that Paul was writing these words. It was poor. It was weak. It, it existed in a few homes at places where the gospel had gone out and was, was preaching. How is it that Paul could say this was bearing fruit throughout the whole world when it was so small and had no wealth, no strength, no power? How in the world could Paul say that this was bearing fruit throughout the whole world when the world was just starting to turn on it? Roman authorities were just starting to take note of this group of people that called themselves Christ followers or Christians or little Christs. How is it that, that at this time where the Jewish religious leaders were beginning to aggressively persecute the church and its weaknesses were being exposed and revealed, how could he say it's bearing fruit throughout the whole world? He must be exaggerating. But I don't believe that this is an exaggeration. There's space for that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to use kind of poetic language that is exaggerated. We've been experiencing some of that as we've been working through the Psalms. But I do not believe that this is an exaggeration. I think it's dead accurate. The reality is, is that the power of God never seems that powerful to the world. And so in these early days of the church, when it seemed poor and weak and oppressed... Nonetheless, it was bearing fruit throughout the whole world. At a time where there was an empire that was the strongest empire that had ever existed in that part of the world, the Roman Empire, which seemed like it would never be destroyed. And this church just seems like this weak, tiny part of this massive, strong empire. Well, we know now the Roman Empire fell, but the church remains. You see, the power of God just, it doesn't look like the power of the world. Do you think as the world watched our Savior exclaim, into your hands I commit my spirit? Do you think that as the world watched our Savior bow his head and die, that it appeared to them that he had just defeated sin and the devil and death itself? No, but the world can't comprehend the power of God that works its way out in the word of God. The world can't comprehend that the power of God is demonstrated in weakness and that the weak things of God are stronger than the strongest thing of this world. And I want to tell you this morning that the most powerful things that you can do as a human being is simply go to your knees and pray or show up in church and sing or listen to the gospel and simply hear that I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. Yeah, the word of God is so powerful that everywhere it was going, there was this springing up of churches. The world was being changed. It's not an exaggeration. God's power just doesn't make sense to the world. And then we hear the name of the planter of this church, a man named Epaphras, the guy that brought them the message. We know very little about Epaphras. Paul just mentions his name. We know that he's a dearly loved brother. We know that he spoke about the love that existed in the Colossian church. And for him, it was enough to preach the gospel and die and be forgotten. To found a church in a backwater town that would exist for a little while until an earthquake would remove it from the map. 
And this action, which seemed inconsequential to the Romans who were in power at the time of planting a small church in a small town, was enduringly powerful because it was animated by the word of God. And the word of God is what creates churches and changes the world. And having laid that out at the very beginning, Paul then says, and it should change your life. Then Paul notes that the word of God, which changes the world, should be changing the members of the Colossian church. It should be changing us too. It's his prayer that they would be transformed by the word of God and grow up into mature Christians. It's the second time that he has mentioned the fact that he is praying for them. This group of believers that he has never met, he's praying for them. He's giving thanks to God for their love and their virtue and their faith. And he is praying that they might grow up in that and it might be multiplied within them. Prayer is extraordinarily powerful. It's amazing in how efficacious it is. Kent Hughes tells a story about how powerful intercessory prayer is. He tells a story that was popular in the region where I went to college. Let me tell you the story. About almost, it was probably 80 years ago, there was a young man named Raymond Edmund who staggered out of the Ecuadorian jungle desperately ill into a clinic outside of the Ecuadorian jungle. The doctor predicted he'll be dead in the morning. Dr. Edmund's wife dyed her wedding dress black so that it would be ready for the funeral. In the tropics, the funerals needed to be held immediately. And so she was ready for mourning when his death would come. However, Edmund's friend, thousands of miles away in Boston, at that very time, was in a prayer meeting. Someone named, uh, someone named Dr. Joseph Edmonds. He interrupted the prayer meeting and he said, I feel we must right now pray for Ray Edmond in Ecuador. The group prayed earnestly until finally Evans called out, praise the Lord, the victory's won. And they returned to their regularly scheduled prayer meeting that evening. The rest is uh, often repeated history. Raymond Edmond recovered. His wife's dress did not, and Dr. Edmund went on to a 40-year ministry and to be the president of Wheaton College. The chapel is named after him. Intercessory prayer is extraordinarily powerful, and here Paul says, I'm praying for you to grow up in that virtue that characterizes you. Wouldn't it be amazing to have an apostle praying for you? Wouldn't it be an amazing thing to receive a letter from Paul and, and to know that he was praying for Orland Park Christian Reformed Church? Wouldn't it be amazing to get that letter and to know that he was praying that we might grow up in holiness and be increasingly characterized by love? That'd be fantastic to know that Paul was praying for us. But here's the truth. We have it even better. We have Jesus praying for us right now. There's Mike... Uh, McShane once said, if, if I knew that Jesus was, was praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't fear a thousand enemies. But the distance makes no difference. He prays for me now at the right hand of his father. So why should we fear? And here is what Paul is praying for, this intercessory prayer. He prays that this church in Colossae might grow in understanding This is what the text says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays that they might grow in virtue. He says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing 
to him. He prays for fruitfulness in their midst, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He prays for endurance, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And he prays for gratitude, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Understanding, virtue, fruitfulness, endurance, and gratitude. As he prays to the Lord for this church in Colossae, he prays that those things might be present in increasing measure in the members of that congregation. And so it's important to ask this morning, where are you at with all of that? If you were to take sort of a diagnostic test of your own life, take a look at the last 10 years, Don't look just today. You might be discouraged. It might be a bad day today, but take a look at the the trajectory and the scope of your life. Have and has there been growth in these areas? Do you understand the truths of God's word more now than you did five or ten years ago? Are you more virtuous, walking in a manner that's more worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ than you did ten years ago? Is your fruitfulness ever growing? fruitfulness for the cause of Christ? Can you endure more than you could have 10 years ago? Are you more grateful than you were 10 years ago? Is all of this growing? You might wonder, well, how does all of that happen? Through the word of God. The same word that created the church in Colossae 2,000 years ago, it is still equally powerful today and effective for growing you into maturity. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema in our series, Jesus Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook. Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.